Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk podcast. This is your host, Susie Lewis, speaking from Toulouse. And for this episode of Let's Talk, we'll be talking about coaching through uncertainty and transformation. Today, I have with me Brian Chaloner, whom I met several years ago now in the coaching space, and we've been exchanging ever since on these important subjects. So welcome, Brian. Thank you very much for inviting me, Susie. It's a pleasure to be here. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to have you. Brian is an experienced professional coach, supervisor, and a seasoned professional in team development. He's held many senior coaching positions and including developing coaching practices internally for large organizations and is currently leading transformation activities. Your work and expertise, Brian, have been built on your passion for learning and people. And as I like to say, transformation, even digital transformation, is essentially all about people. Given the current COVID climate and the unprecedented uncertainty, and of course the human reaction to that, organizations and people need to be agile and to use particular innovation language to pivot. The need to do that has never been more important. We hear a lot about coaching and the power of coaching in organizations today. Can you tell us more about that? So what is coaching for you and the mm. place of coaching in that particular landscape? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that was a lot of questions. <laughs> it's, it's also the context as well. I, I keep thinking to myself, how many of these questions would I have answered differently a few months ago? And also, how will the answers sound a few months down the line as well? I'll start with the, it's not an easy one, but the easiest one, which is what is coaching? I'll, I'll, I'll start with that one, Susie. <laughs> Just to frame um, our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it from there. Yeah. So coaching for me, I, I, I always see it as holding the space for another human being, in fact. Yeah. And, and the reason you're holding that space is so that they can access their full potential in some part of their life. So in a business, in some part of their professional life, be it leadership or whatever. Yeah. And then I see that the coach within coaching as the person who's responsible to actually roll out the process within that space and the space itself, I think ideally it's actually co-created between you and the person you are coaching. Um, and it's a space that needs to be safe enough for the person to actually be authentic, be themselves and show some of their vulnerability. And it also needs to be challenging and uncomfortable enough so that they actually learn and also rich enough so that they can resource themselves, which, which I believe is particularly important right now where discomfort and learning is happening plenty outside the coaching space. So there's, may, there's maybe more of a call for resourcing and dealing with questions of energy within the coaching space. I think you're also responsible as a coach. Of, of course, I think, I know you're also responsible <laughs> as a coach for um, the boundaries of that space and of your practice and, and how those boundaries move and shift so all, all of the all of the work around contracting, for example. Mm -hmm. So I'm hearing a co-created space that's safe, safe enough for both people to express themselves, but is essentially there to allow the person being coached or the group being coached to unlock their their potential and um, move on on a journey or on a subject. Is that correct? Lovely. And I think I think maybe as I was listening to you, I think I'd say for them to move because there's a notion of progress in move on, which I don't think is always necessarily there. And it's one of the challenges with, with mm -hmm. coaching and selling the profession of coaching as well. Yeah. So how does that play out in today's environment? I heard you talking about boundaries. Yeah. I mean, today, everybody's boundaries have been moved, whether they like it or not. So how, how does that play out? I think today there's 
Yeah. In, in, in terms of boundaries, the things that are playing out are a lot more of the coaching is happening online than mm-hmm. before. In terms of boundaries, a lot more people are limited physically in terms of where they can go, um, limited professionally in terms of what they're able to do, in terms of um, work falling out of their agendas, for example. So I think the whole the whole boundary side becomes a lot more visible and a lot yeah. more present. But it doesn't change the fact that it's it's the space within that boundary that is the rich and fertile area where we need we need to do our work mm-hmm. and where we need to offer the time and the possibility for people to look inside. Yeah. Okay. So creating that space and giving people the time and the resource to look inside. What advice would you give for coaching leaders in the current climate? Right now is to spend as much time as as is needed checking how they are. I have a feeling that there's a lot of denial out there. So Mm -hmm. there's probably a lot of people, whether leaders or not, finding it difficult to see what is really going on with them. And also faced with other people who are not necessarily looking at the situation as, as full face on as they could do. And I think you can see this, that there's a, there's a lot of misdirected focus on, on normal. Um, okay. What was the normal before? What will the new normal be? Um, how do we get back to normal? And, and I think a lot of this, in fact, are signifiers of, of, of us believing that there's something that we can get back to or move forward to or, or find that is stable mm. at a time when what people are living is, is so far from stable that, in fact, we're by looking too much in those areas, there's there's a notion of denial when, in fact, what we need to be is dealing with people's current reality here and now yeah. so that we can ensure there is, in fact, a foundation that's solid and that people feel they've been seen and heard in the, the difficulty of now yeah. um, before we give any consideration to building a future focus on that foundation. Thank you. I think coaching is used a lot in organisations anyway to create a different type of culture. How useful for you is it as a leader for behavioural change in general? <laughs> I feel slightly biased because for me, I, um, my answer it is the uh, <laughs> <laughs> for behavioural change. And, and I, I think my reaction comes from the fact that you've, you've got information. Um, so you, you, can, you can put information out there, you can take information on. We, we were talking before the start of the podcast about how education is sometimes misperceived as filling children as if they were empty vessels with, with, with information. <laughs> and information is actually really good. You know, information data is wonderful. The key to it is how we then interact with it and how we reflect and, and, and get our hands dirty working with that material, engaging with that information so that it starts becomes, to become knowledge. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, the really key step is how that knowledge becomes part of our practice so that it transforms into wisdom. So if, if, if I put it in more concrete terms, you can read books, get information, get data about conflict management. What's interesting is how you engage with it. How you engage with it is so varied that that's where the power of coaching comes in, in fact, because as I engage with the material of conflict management, 
Now, what's a good choice? What's a good decision for me? Is mm -hmm. it to go and join a debating society so that I can be more confident in how I stick with a fixed position? Or is it to go in a direction where I'm actually trying to work out how can I put myself in somebody else's position and understand, get some empathy about why they see the world so differently to me? Mm -hmm. And and that sort of work, with whichever direction you're going in, that's mm -hmm. your choice, but being supported and coached through it I think is really important and that's even before I get to the point of how do I then apply that for example in my leadership practice yeah which is an ongoing thing where you need to actually live the practice try out things notice how you're trying out things notice what happens around you potentially adjust them and working through all of those stages with a coach whether that's a professional coach or a manager who is able to coach or a peer who has um, coaching practice I'm less concerned with that and more concerned with the process of, mm -hmm. of coaching so that people learn over time and discover and, and notice how behavioral change is actually having an impact on what they need to achieve in their job. Yeah. I mean, I love the definition of culture as the way we think, act and interact. If I take that, I'm hearing yes. a similarly simple process, although it's a complex uh, reality in terms of reflecting and interacting with information and then engaging with it and then actually acting, doing something with it. So I want to come back to the idea of managers as coaches, as well as professional coaches. How important for you is that in the transformation process within an organisation? Um, I think it's it's one of the keys. In fact, there's a lot of talk about the managers as coach, leaders as coach, etc. And I, I, I think that's almost a distraction again from mm -hmm. the fact that it's it's a central part of the job as a manager. Um, you have that pastoral role, which is to help in the development, the learning, and the, and the fact that your teams actually access their full potential and, and deploy it. The big difference being that you know you're you're doing that because you're paid to do it in service of the company, and also you have a vested interest. So you're you're lacking some some of the um, impartiality that you would hope from a coach. Mm -hmm. But it's I think it's it's, it's key, yeah, key, key, key. Is that the largest challenge of coaching in the transformation of an organisation for you? No. It's what I'm hearing, or that's my <laughs> assumption. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's, it's definitely one of them. I think one of the largest challenge of coaching in organisations, and this this is true today as budgets are being cut, mm. but it's already true before, to be honest, I, I think it's demonstrating the value that you get from the coaching process. And the, this the challenge is there for a number of reasons, very often because coaching is, is precisely focusing on the process. So um, there's not that angling in on what are the results going to be which is what people want to hear now yeah. so there's there's a need in our conversations when we explain what coaching is and we explain what coaching can bring to actually demonstrate the value of the process mm. to get into the difficult conversations with the people who pay yeah. um, so so that they can start to understand and experience what the coaching process is to see that it can bring a value even if you can't put a figure on it or a number on it all the time I was going to say it's one of the most frequently asked questions one of the most simple questions but the hardest to answer so you know how do you measure the impact yeah. of coaching and therefore how do you measure the impact of implementing a coaching culture Exactly. What would, what would be your answer to that? 
my, my, answer, my answer to that would be as soon as you start doing it, you almost you almost guarantee failure, in fact. Okay. So, so trying to put a figure on something that is that is looking at a process. If you mm. like if, if you suddenly start saying, Oh yes, okay, coaching means <laughs> that my people are 10% more productive. My experience is that most of the research that tends to suggest this. It's quite distorting in how it manages to suggest this. There's some research out there and there's some attempts at research out there to truly compare equivalent groups of people where one has received coaching and one hasn't. Mm. Um, I think these could be interesting to see what they bring up. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, it's an unfortunate reality that to truly give a monetary deliverable measurement for coaching is incredibly tricky. However, the conversation about why that is tricky and the conversation with deciders and companies about how comfortable they can be to invest in something that doesn't have such obvious and easy measurement results is in itself really, really beneficial. And I think if we are approaching companies and looking to see how coaching can be implemented, those conversations that we are having are actually the first step of the process to potentially getting the seeds planted for a coaching culture to mm. be developed. And I'd actually say rather than coaching culture, it's a learning culture um, of which coaching is part, but not the only part. Okay. And can you describe what a learning culture is for you? Um, so a learning culture is a culture where an organisation actually picks up on its strengths, uh, okay. past mistakes, dares to reinvent itself, um, and not just in a reactive mode. Topical. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> where feedback, so where, where feedback is key, all levels, all directions. Um, and so coaching is a behavior of managers, but also, you know, the, looking to use coaches is seen as something normal. You know, even things like new leadership position for somebody, mm-hmm. offering them for the first 100 days the support of a coach. How do you measure whether or not that is bringing real value? I think the real question is, how do we even think about putting people in positions of responsibility without that kind of support? Yeah. Uh, So. Okay. Thanks. I just want to come back to the daring to reinvent yourself because it's topical. We, everybody is at a pivotal moment uh, personally and collectively. So, you know, this crisis has brought a lot of constraints to businesses and to people, but it's also brought a lot of opportunities. What opportunities for you are coming with a view to creating this more agile learning based culture? I think there's some dirty opportunities out there, <laughs> which are because a lot of our structures and a lot of our resources are under massive pressure, certain things are happening quicker and perhaps with fewer decision loops than in the past. Mm-hmm. So there's there's potentially an opportunity to get some things through that were politically stuck in some larger organisations. There's massive decision power at the moment because crisis mode is very centralised. Mm-hmm. Um, and therein lies the risk as well because uh, yeah. uh, you cannot maintain that level of centralisation for a long time. And if we don't go back to looking at how to distribute power again, then we're on a slippery slope for other problems as well. So I think, yeah, there's there's some some sort of quick and dirty opportunities there. I think there's an opportunity to actually stop as well um, and and have a really long, hard, cold think, because I think there's a risk in the rushing 
yeah. just ease opportunities, which which potentially, and again, this, this is just my perspective on it, there will be potentially ways for us to apply old solutions to some of the current challenges we see, um, when in fact now, now is a time where we could stop and have a yeah. real hard think about what's essential and some of the... Some of the dumb questions, you know, <laughs> what is our mission? Who is our customer? What uh, is our customer value? It's not a bad time to actually stop and think about some of those again and to really try and plunge into them so that we don't fall into previous thinking patterns, mm. which, which I'm not sure are particularly appropriate for the for the huge unknown we're going into, which mm. is, um, excellent. So we're back to the safe space that we discussed earlier and holding it. And being present there long enough to go back to basics, or yeah. that, that would be the way I would put it, and to think about what we do, why we do it, and how we do it. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, it's it's there are people who are available at the moment, and it, it could be it could be as simple as daring to allow people to have a long, hard look at what's going on in an organisation in some of the areas of potential of an organisation, mm-hmm. so that when we talk about you know observing and, and picking up what is really going on we potentially have the, the resource and the space available to do that now in what is a shifting reality so it's I'd say it's particularly valuable to do it but it requires a lot of courage yeah so it's those courageous conversations and taking a step back from the firefighting fast-paced uh, delivery culture that um, most organizations work in yes I say taking a step to side because the people that are doing the firefighting, um, we don't need them to stop. <laughs> no. Yeah, clearly. But, I, but I think, you know, it's the firefighting in the crisis mode, the people that are doing it and the people that are involved in it, they're busy with that. And uh, there are other people that are not needed in that firefighting role. And yet there's a, there's a huge amount of value they could bring. Yeah, it's uh, finding that balance, isn't it? And, yeah. and where you put the strengths gonna, of people. Yeah. And in some organisations, there's sort of some some idea hunting going on at the moment and some um, sort of crowd hunting to see what can people collectively do. Again, very much targeting the situation right now in mm. society at large and not necessarily the company. But I see them shifting as well to see, actually, what, what about in terms of our customers? What about in terms of our company? That mm. Using that huge imagination and um, potential to see, well, what, what else could we do now for the company? Mm. What would you, time has flown as ever, so let, mm. let's wrap up. What, what would your last words or pieces of advice be for companies wanting to change the way they run their transformation activities currently and after COVID? I'd say for, for transformation activities in particular, I'd, I'd, I'd come back to that point, which is you know, dare to let people loose in the organisation to observe and watch and see what's going on if you have resource that is available to do that so that they truly take some time to see what's going on, to see how things are working and to see what potentially needs to be captured, transformed, reinvented, etc. Thank you very much for daring to let people have the time to think. <laughs> and then we come back to acting, thinking and interacting. Okay, thank you, Brian. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your thoughts with us. Thank you very much, Susie. And as I say, I'll listen to this in a few months' time just to see um, how, how much of this is still relevant after what we're living now in whatever we will be living. <laughs> yeah, interesting, interesting thought. I feel like saying watch that space. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we hope you enjoyed this episode. And if so, please head over to iTunes and give us your opinion and rating. So it's bye from me for now. And see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk. And stay safe. Thank you, Brian. Stay safe. Bye-bye. Bye.